as many of you know, uh, we have a program here at church called Kids Hope. And that program is run by Jessica Whetstone. And so each week we have people from our congregation going into McBain Elementary to mentor a student and build a meaningful relationship to help fulfill uh, the mission statement of Kids Hope, which is to build life-changing relationships one at a time. And today we have the privilege of hearing from Karen Pearson, the president of Kids Hope USA. Karen, we're honored to have you here. Thanks for coming to share with us today. Sorry, Mark. Thank you. Thank you, and good morning. It is absolutely my delight to be here with you to worship, and really an honor to be asked to share a message. Uh, what she didn't tell you is that previous to becoming Kids Hope USA, I was a chemistry professor. So um, I prepared a 50-minute lecture on the periodic table. No, just kidding. No, we're going to open up God's word, and um, she told me I had about 20 to 25 minutes, so I'll try to keep it to that. There's a lot we could say. She just offered a beautiful prayer, so I won't pray again, but please know, Jessica and Kathy, that you guys are incredibly important to the mission of this church through the ministry of Kids Hope USA. So let's open up God's word, and this is, for those of you that have been Christ followers for a while, this is not going to be a new passage, but perhaps you'll hear something different in it this time as I share the passage and then a few observations. Please turn with me in your Bibles, if you brought them, to the book of Matthew, chapter 14. Oh, wow, it's up there. Great. Well, I don't know if this is going to be the same translation, but it's fine, either way. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote place to be alone. Maybe I should read it there. Okay, I'll try my best to read it here. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it is already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Jesus said, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. 
The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides the women and the children. How many people have heard this passage before? So you're familiar with this story. In the book of Matthew, actually, um, this passage begins, as many do, kind of linking to the passage before. And the passage before is the murder of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin and good friend and really beloved brother. Um, And so this passage begins saying that Jesus heard that news and wanted to withdraw for some time by himself to grieve, maybe to process this news, to spend time with his disciples. But Jesus is a celebrity, and as often happens with celebrities, uh, people hear where they're headed and want to go see them. So the passage says that a large crowd found out where he was going and met him there. And we also know from the scriptures that Jesus often had this happen, that large crowds either came to see him or surrounded him, and often the scriptures say he had compassion on them and healed the sick. So picture a long day, Jesus making his way through the crowd, people pressing in on him, the disciples trying to kind of figure out how to manage this enormous crowd, the sick, the injured, so many people there. And at some point, the scripture says, the disciples kind of lifted their heads and recognized that the day was coming to an end. Evening was approaching. And the disciples, as you probably know, sometimes they get a bad rap. Sometimes they're confused or frustrated or impatient or maybe even a bit clueless. But this time, they're not. They kind of come to realize what time of day it is And they look around them and kind of take stock of the situation. This is a huge crowd of people. And they don't have anything to eat. They don't have any shelter. Day is coming to an end. So the disciples are recognizing the situation they're in, and they know that Jesus has tremendous authority And what Jesus says, the people will probably do. So they say to him, Jesus, please tell the people to go away. Disperse the crowd. Say that we've kind of wrapped things up for the day, and they should all head home. There isn't a grocery store right next door. We don't have a buffet set up for the folks. Looking around, it's clear they don't have coolers or picnic baskets. They don't even have backpacks full of granola bars and fruit snacks the way most moms do. These people have nothing. But Jesus, as he often does, says something surprising. They don't need to go away, he says. Some translation says, it is not necessary for them to leave. You feed them. 
what in the world were the disciples supposed to do with that? Jesus says that's not the only option. We don't need to send them away. You give them something to eat. So again, I don't know what the disciples were thinking. I don't know if they were sort of exasperated or maybe worried or panicked or who knows what they were thinking. But they did look to Jesus and say, you realize that we have five loaves and two fish. That is barely enough for our small circle of disciples and you, Jesus. That is nothing, nothing when it comes to this crowd. And Jesus says, I know it might seem like nothing to you, but bring me what you have. Bring me what you, what, what you have. And as the passage says, they brought him five loaves and two fish. And Jesus asked everybody to sit down. Everybody have a seat on the grass. And Jesus looked up to heaven, and he gave thanks, and he blessed, and he began breaking the bread and dividing it into baskets. And the passage says the disciples distributed the food. So think back. Jesus had said, it's not necessary to send them away. You feed them. And here we have the disciples, probably pretty excitedly, picking up big baskets and beginning to distribute it among a huge crowd. Probably other people joined in too, right? Maybe there were so many baskets, they needed a few other people to join in, and they begin distributing. And the verse that's still up there says, all ate and were satisfied. Now, Bible historians, and I just told you I'm a chemist, so I am not a Bible historian, but they tell us that the people in Jesus' day were not middle-class people for the most part. They were desperately poor people. The people that came to see Jesus were not like Taylor Swift groupies coming to see a celebrity. They were desperately poor coming to be healed by Jesus. So when the disciples are bringing around baskets of food and the pastors said they were eight and were satisfied, that is a remarkable part of the story for people who are so poor and so desperate. And then it says there were leftovers. Jesus's generosity, Jesus's multiplication, Jesus's miracle, we just sang about miracle worker, Jesus' miracle is that not only is there enough, but there are leftovers. There is more than enough. These people probably were taking not only what they could eat, but maybe some for tomorrow, and there were still leftovers. And all of that came from what the disciples thought was an utterly inadequate offering 
of five loaves and two fish. So when we look around at our houses, our schools, our churches, our neighborhoods, our places of work, what do we see? What do we see? The disciples noticed that it was the end of the day and that there were a lot of hungry people around. What do we see? Do you see those around you that are hungry? Do you see people who are facing extreme stress and loneliness? Maybe a crisis health diagnosis? Maybe facing eviction? Children who are being bullied at school? Do you hear stories of gun violence and substance abuse, domestic violence, poverty, loss. Like the disciples in that crowd, we are surrounded by people who are facing significant challenges, uncertainty, and loss. Now, I don't know about you, but even when I wrote that list, I felt pretty overwhelmed by the challenges situations like this face us. Upon reflection, we might be a bit like the disciples who just wanted the crowd to disperse and go away. Seek help elsewhere. The disciples wanted some quiet. They wanted a little time with Jesus, maybe to divide those five loaves among themselves. Do you ever feel like the issues around you are too complex, too weighty, too intense for there to be hope for change? Do you ever feel like you don't have the expertise to even know where to start? Thirty years ago, a man named Virgil Gulker, right here in West Michigan, began asking some questions of people in the communities in which he lived. He talked to teachers and pastors and pediatricians and police officers, and he started asking the question, what are the needs of the children in this community? Indeed, what is the greatest need of children in our community? And he heard many different answers, but one that kept coming up over and over again, was that children need consistent, caring, encouraging adults in their lives to help them grow and thrive. In fact, research tells us that the single most common sort of experience of children who grow up to be well-adjusted adults is the presence of at least one caring adult in their life. At least one. The single most common experience for children who go on to be well-adjusted, thriving adults. Just want to make sure you hear me say that. Is the presence of at least one encouraging, supportive, consistent 
role model of an adult. So Virgil, having heard this, said, well, we have churches that are often located right next door or within a few blocks of elementary schools. And could we invite churches to mobilize volunteers to go to those schools to just spend one hour a week? One hour a week with a child who could use that extra attention. So back in 1994, we're coming up on 30 years, um, he invited three churches, and those three churches are still Kids Hope USA churches today. He invited those churches to reach out to their neighborhood schools, and those programs were the brave beginnings of Kids Hope USA. And over the course of the last 30 years, God has really blessed this ministry. We have about 800 mentoring ministries in about 38 states, and uh, we are incredibly grateful for churches like you, for mentors and prayer partners who step into the lives of children in your neighborhood who desperately need an extra adult in their lives. So here at Rehoboth, I'm going to thank a few key people. So back in 2008, and I don't know how Pastor Sterk heard of Kids Hope USA, but you, many of you may remember Pastor Dave Sterk and Holly Helsall, they started your Kids Hope USA program. And for the past 15 years, mentors just like you have been pulling into the drive into the parking lot of McBain Elementary getting out of your car walking through the front doors maybe getting a lanyard or a name tag checking in at the front office and walking to the door of a classroom to meet your child how many people have served as mentors Raise your hands nice and high so you all know exactly what I'm talking about because you know that you walk to that door and every single face turns to the door and says, Jeremiah, Susan, your mentor's here, right? Don't you know that that's exactly what happens? And every single one of those kids wishes you were there for them. That's the truth. Because now Jeremiah or Susan or whoever hops out of their desk and maybe grabs a folder or a worksheet or a pencil or something, but hops up, runs over to the door because they want to spend an hour with you. And please believe me when I say, if you've forgotten fractions, it doesn't matter. If you've forgotten the difference between an adjective and an adverb, it doesn't matter. Truly they want to spend an hour with you because you give them undivided attention, you smile, you say their name with love. Whatever you're doing, you might play Uno every single week. You might read the same storybook over and over again. But what you're doing is you are consistently showing up to love that child. And it makes a difference for the child, 
and it makes a difference for the mentor. Just two quick stories. Okay, so there's a pastor of one of these three churches, the three first churches, that uh, eats a sandwich at a local sandwich shop right near our office every day. So I oftentimes run into him if I happen to pop in. And uh, last, uh, last May, I asked him, his name is Pastor Mike, I said, hey, Pastor Mike, um, tell me a little bit about how things have gone this year with your student. And he said, well, Karen, it's been really a tremendous year, he said. At the beginning of the year, um, I talked to my student teacher and talked to my student. And basically, he was convinced that he could not read. Whether or not he could, he was convinced that he couldn't read. And right then and there, that fall, we made a commitment to spend at least part of our time every time we met, working on reading together. And that was the key word, together. So all throughout the year, every time they got together, they spent at least part of their time working on reading. And of course, you can imagine that with that kind of consistency, and to use Mike's words, relentless positivity, the kid became quite a good reader. And again, in what I have to think is just a brilliant God moment, the teacher knew that that was what they were doing, and at the end of the year, that little boy got a reading award. And Mike said, you know, reading was certainly part of it, but it was also self-confidence. He started participating in class more. He took his whole schoolwork more seriously because he had learned that he was capable of doing something hard if somebody comes alongside and gives him encouragement. And every one of us needs to learn that lesson that we can do hard things uh, if we apply ourselves and if somebody comes alongside us. About a year ago, I got a message from a director, like Jessica, uh, with a brand new program. So this was a, a director that I was just checking in, hey, how's it going with your program? You guys just got started, love to, to know how things are going. And she wrote a beautiful long reply, and in there she shared with me that she has a mentor, and that mentor had shared with her that Christmas was an especially difficult time for that mentor. Something had happened, a loss, such that that mentor always experienced Christmas as one of the lowest points in their lives. But the mentor shared that since they had begun to build this relationship with this little person once a week, that mentor could already feel that this coming Christmas wasn't going to be as bad. So hear me when I say that, yes, you can change the life of a young person, but your life will also be changed. God does not ask us to have everything. 
the disciples truly did not think they had really anything to offer. But Jesus said, offer me what you can. Offer me what you have. I know five loaves and two fish seem like it is ridiculous with all these people here. I know that the problems in your community, because it's just like mine, they are bigger than any single one of us could ever imagine tackling. But I know that each one of you has something to offer. And Jesus is inviting us to offer that, whatever it is. Kids Hope needs mentors that have one hour a week. That's all you need. One hour a week and a curiosity to get to know a little person. We also need prayer partners. I know you guys know this, but to be prayed for by name makes a difference. And our prayer partners come alongside us. They're behind the scenes, so our prayer partners don't meet the children, but our prayer partners are praying for us by name when we go to the school. My prayer partner's name is Norma. I go see my little girl on Tuesdays. No, no, that was last year, Mondays. We just started. And every Monday, I send Norma an email, and I say, I'm going to go get to see her this morning. And Norma writes me back, and she says, I'll be praying. And then on Monday afternoon, I try to send her a quick note. Here's what we did. Here's what we talked about. Here's how you can be praying for her and for me during the week. Don't underestimate the power of praying by name for children in your community. It can make a huge difference. So I'm just going to wrap up by encouraging you to think about what God might be inviting you to offer. And are you willing to trust him to multiply that in ways that you may not know? In ways that you probably can't see? But that's the beauty of God. Offer what you can, and I know that uh, God can take that and do some amazing things. So let me close uh, just with a blessing. Oh, that's right. Let me close with a quick word from your principal. This is really important before a blessing. So I asked Jessica if she would reach out to the principal of McBain Elementary School. And he had no idea what I was going to share. So this is a pretty remarkable Holy Spirit moment, in my opinion. David Wisner is the principal, and this is what he wrote. Kids Hope USA is such an integral part of our school. We are so thankful for the volunteers who come to love our students unconditionally. Volunteers who give of their time, talents to mentor children. The students chosen for this program need a village, and the mentors are a key part of that village. To some, one hour a week might be a drop in the bucket, but for our students, one hour a week can mean the world. 
one hour a week might seem like a drop in the bucket. How in the world could God do anything with five loaves and two fish? But the Lord can do miracles through the meager things that we choose to offer. So I will close with um, a blessing and a short prayer. May each of us today realize that we have something to offer and something to offer that the world needs and something to offer that God can use to multiply and bless others. Father, I truly believe that there are people sitting here today that your spirit is encouraging them to step up and serve, to offer their time, their prayers, to be a volunteer serving others. And as you invite us to leave this church and serve our neighbors, I ask that you give the people that your spirit is pricking the courage to talk to Jessica or Pastor Kathy and say, if you can use me, I would like to offer what I have. I know there's a child, Lord, waiting. I know there's a child, Lord, waiting to build a relationship with one of these incredible people. Father, thank you again for the worship today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. And thank you for loving all children. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.